Father, we thank you for our time here together. Thank you, Lord, that uh, your word is true. It's tested. And, Father, it gives light to our lives. And we thank you for it. Thank you for your anointing on, on me to uh, teach and uh, anointing on every ear to hear and every heart to receive that precious seed of the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this is what what we call Passion Week or Easter Week. And it started Sunday with what we call Palm Sunday. And uh, Pastor David did a great presentation of, of the... Uh, some of the, the things that are surrounding Palm Sunday. I'm going to go over a little bit of that in, in repetition. I'm not going to do everything, but what the revelation that he gave on, on Hosanna was just uh, really, really enlightening to me. I knew a definition of Hosanna, but I didn't know how deep that it really went. So I, I really appreciated that. So what we're going to be looking at tonight is why was Jesus crucified? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But let's start, go back to uh, the triumphal entry in Matthew 21. And uh, starting at verse 1, it says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. Now, it's interesting, one of the things that really stands out to me about this is all four Gospels recorded this. This is something that that happened, and it was important enough in all Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all wrote it down. They didn't always have it, they didn't all have it in the same sequence of events, but they all had these these very things that happened, and I'm going to just kind of highlight a couple of those as as we go here, but... uh, it says, uh, it talk, here it talks about the, the donkey and its colt. The other three Gospels only mention the colt, only mention the, the baby donkey, because that's what Jesus rode on. Now, I thought, well, I'm going to investigate this. I'm going to see what, what the truth is here. And it's amazing how many different opinions you can find on, on what this all means. Maybe... Jesus didn't want to separate the mama from the baby. You know, anybody who's ever worked around uh, animals, uh, especially horses and, and donkeys and things, know that you don't just jump on one without it uh, being a little irritated and, and uh, trying to exert its will on you. So there's there's that. The other is that uh, maybe the the mama represented the old covenant and the the uh, baby represented the new covenant. I don't know. It, it makes for a good lesson, I don't, but I'm, that's not my lesson. So it happened. Jesus rode the donkey, and it says, uh, uh, If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has needed them, and immediately he will send them. All of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, and then it quotes Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. <coughs> Excuse me. And I'm going to read from Zechariah exactly what the the quote was. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, 
lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, there's a couple of things here that, that started to upset the, the religious leaders. One, that it says he was, it says, behold, your king. He's coming in as a king. A king. Now, he is the Messiah. But I don't know if anybody at this point actually recognized him as Messiah. The Messiah they were looking for was coming as a warrior. And he was going to come in and, and I better phrase this right. He's going to take care of the Romans. Let me put it that way. Uh, the Rome, they were, they were in bondage to the, to the Romans. They didn't like the Romans. And, uh, their Messiah was supposed to come in and, and clean house with them. Uh, Jesus is riding in as king on a donkey. Why a donkey? I think Pastor David uh, explained a little bit of that Sunday that the, the donkey symbolizes peace. And, and it wasn't, this wasn't the only time that any, anybody came in on a donkey to a, to a city. Uh, a king might come in and it symbolized they were coming in peace. They meant no harm. If somebody came in on a horse, you might be uh, preparing for battle. So, uh, Jesus is making sure that, that everybody knows he's coming in peace. Uh, and it says, uh, the disciples uh, went, did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches. John tells us that it, there were palm branches and from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And we learned Sunday that uh, Hosanna doesn't mean just uh, save us. It means you are the only one who can save us. And the leaders are hearing this and they're not liking it. Everybody else likes it because they're, they, they're thinking, here's the one who can save us from what we're going through. Uh, and it says, verse 10, when he had come to, into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. That's what they knew him of, as was the prophet, and he's from Galilee, Nazareth. Verse 12, then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Uh, that must have been quite a sight. And one of the Gospels said that he made a whip, and he was whipping people and get, getting them out of there. And he, he said, uh, verse 13, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And as Pastor David explained Sunday, they were, they were gouging the people with what they were selling there. They were selling uh, things for four or five times more than they should have been selling. It's not that they shouldn't have been there. They shouldn't have been doing it the way they were doing it. And so Jesus cleansed the temple. And this, this occurred to me as I was preparing this. I think as we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' desire is for us to keep our temple clean. 
and and for us to be uh, holy in the sense that we're not we're not participating in in unlawful things and things trying to take advantage of others and that type of thing. Uh, and it says uh, in verse 14, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the, how wonderful things he did and the children, the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Same thing they were saying on the road as he was coming in. The little kids are saying this. And and the church leaders were just so happy with what he was doing. No, that's not what it says. They, it says they were indignant. They were they were ticked that the the kids shut these kids up. And then they said in verse verse sixteen says they said to him, "Do you hear what they're saying? I mean, come on, this is these are children. What do they know?" And Jesus said, "Yes, have you never read?" Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. You know, don't, don't neglect the children. There are a lot of people in, especially in different cultures that think children really don't need to be given anything, uh, in, in the way of spiritual education and, and training until they're old enough to, to really, uh, know better, to, to take it in themselves. Well, I'll tell you the public school systems isn't isn't in that boat right now. They're trying to put things down their throats. Little children, there's there's a time of life in the early years when it, it basically establishes the course they're on for their life, and they don't need to be taught sex education in the first and second grade. In fact, I don't think they should be taught it anywhere but at home. But anyway, uh, but all he did was made the religious people mad. It, it seemed like everything Jesus did irritated the religious people, especially when he would do something good on the Sabbath day. That was that was a real big uh, sore spot for them. Verse 17, then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany. Bethany is, is right across, a, there's kind of a, a little valley across from Jerusalem, and, and we've sat on the steps of a, I guess it was a synagogue or whatever with Billy Brim. She, we were on a, a tour with her one time. And, and you can see the dome, the, the dome of the mosque, uh, in the mosque of the, what's it, anyway, the big dome there, the golden dome. That's the, uh, it's not Christian. And, uh, so you can see all that. You can see Jerusalem from there. It's not a long ways. Um, and you'd be happy to have a, something to ride on to get there if you were in, in Jesus' days. But uh, it says he went to Bethany and he lodged there. And verse 18, now in the morning as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, he talked to the tree. Now, you know, if you're going to talk to a tree, you better know what authority you have to talk to the tree. But Jesus talked to this tree and he said, let no fruit grow on you. Ever again. And it says here, immediately the fig tree withered away. Now, I want to go from here to Mark chapter 11, where Mark is telling the same story here in, in maybe a little different sequence, because in Mark, 
they they went into the temple uh, on one day and he just looked around. He didn't overthrow any money changers. Then they went back to Bethany and then went back the next day is when he cleansed the temple. But uh, either way, he cursed the fig tree. And in, in Mark it says his disciples heard it. So it wasn't wasn't just a whispering to the tree. Uh, let's in Mark 11. Let's go to verse 20, and it says, "Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away." So Jesus answered and said to them, "Have faith in God." Jesus had to have faith in God. We need to have faith in God. That is our that is our foundation for operating in faith and in in all of our life. Have faith in God. And now, what I'm getting into here is what we stand on as Word of Faith people, starting with verse 23. That Kenneth Hagin didn't write this. It was here before Kenneth Hagin. It says, "For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea." And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he shall have whatever he says. Verse 24, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. Verse 25, don't leave this out. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone... Forgive them, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. So they they wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to get rid of him because he didn't flow with their religious traditions. Uh, and, and it really upset them. It's kind of like today where uh, you really aren't allowed to have your own opinion if it's different from the ruling uh, class, whatever they tell you to do. Anyway, and the Sabbath was particularly off-limits for working miracles, if you can believe that. What better day to work miracles than on the Sabbath? Now, for example, let's go to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13 and beginning in verse 10 says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. There you go. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. I think I taught this here once and it talked about my Aunt Edith, who this was a picture of my Aunt Edith, who was so bent over she couldn't raise up. And there was not a Christian within miles to do anything about it. Anyway, uh, verse 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. Wow. Verse 13, and he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Wouldn't you too? And 18 years in that, in that horrible condition. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. There's that word again. He's he's indignant. He says, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, he said to the crowd and read to Jesus and this woman, there are 
six days that you could come and be healed. Any any of those days a week would be good. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. And I'm thinking, this woman has been like this for 18 years. She's a member of that congregation, of that synagogue. She's been there for 18 years. Nobody's lifted a finger to help her get healed. And here she's healed, set free from a torment of the devil on the Sabbath. And they just get mad about it because he did it on the Sabbath. How awful. Anyway, in Matthew chapter 12, here's another one. Uh, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, starting with the first verse. And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck the heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look. I'm trying to sound like a Pharisee here. Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And they shook their head like that too. Not lawful on the Sabbath. It's not lawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus said in verse 3, Have you not heard what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. Oh, Jesus, you're going too far now. One greater than the temple. But if you have known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath. He's calling himself the Son of Man. And they know that that means the Messiah. And they know he can't be the Messiah because he's he's blaspheming the Sabbath day by healing. Woo. But wait, there's more. Keep reading here, but now to verse 9. When he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. That those people were just accusing him there. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, they asked him, they, the, the synagogue leaders, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath? Will he not lay hold of it and pull it out? How much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Ooh, they're just getting more angry by the minute. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. They weren't rejoicing that somebody was healed who had been, who had been in terrible condition. Uh, they wanted to get rid of this guy because he, he didn't know the rules. Their rules. There was also, there was, remember there was the, the crippled man at the pool of Bethesda who'd been there 38 years and Jesus came in, set him free, but it was on the Sabbath. Oh, Jesus, how can you be so foolish? That's, that's what they were accusing him of. Then in Luke chapter 4, 
We're going to Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. Surely you're safe in your hometown, right? Well, in verse 17, he was given the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were tied on him. I can imagine. They're, they're just glaring at him. Who does he think he is saying things like this? And it says, in verse 22, basically they're saying, well, you know, yeah, he, he says something. Isn't that Joseph and Mary's kid? I mean, wait, who does he think he is? He's, he's nobody. And uh, verse 28 says, so all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. The, beyond indignation, now they're under wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him over the cliff. That's how angry they were. And this is so, I I would love to have seen how this happened, because in verse 30 it says, Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. And and I'm sure there are people up there, wait, where did he go? He was right here. He he just Because it wasn't his time. His time was coming soon, but that wasn't it. So the religious leaders were seeking how to get rid of him, but they needed some help. And then comes Judas. And uh, Judas, look at at Matthew chapter 26, uh, starting with verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man, he didn't say it, but I'll say that's me, that's him, the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. I'm not sure, even at this point, how how much the, the disciples understood who they had been working with. He is the Messiah. And and I, I think they still there's still kind of a fog about what what does he really mean when he says these things. He says, going to be delivered up to be crucified. And then uh, go down to verse 6. And when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant. Now they're indignant. Uh, mostly Judas, but it says here all the disciples, saying, why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. We see in the other Gospels that it was Judas who was saying this. And he didn't really care about giving anything to the poor. He saw an opportunity, since he had been dipping out of the money bag for himself. Here is, they say that this, was probably, uh, you can find all kinds of different amounts, but I, the one that I pick is, it's a year's wages. Now think of what you would earn in a year 
and and putting that all into something you would put on Jesus' head. That's what this woman had done. And uh, it says, uh, they're indignant. Why this waste? Of, it says, Jesus was aware of it. Verse 10, Jesus was aware of it. He said to them, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not always, do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. I don't think she realized she was doing it for his burial, but he did. Because this was just days before he was to go to the cross. She did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached, in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial to her. And I think this incident was the tipping point for Judas. Because we find out in the other Gospels, Judas had been dipping into the the treasury, to the, the money bag. And nobody knew it. So, you know, people talk about uh, we, we should be poor like Jesus. Well, okay, let's. Let's need a treasurer and somebody to carry our money. Uh, because that's what he had to have here. If you've got two nickels, you don't need uh, a treasurer. You don't need anybody to, to help keep track of it. And you will certainly miss it if it's if somebody's taking from it. So here's here's Judas who's been taking from it. And he is so angry that this could have been a, a real windfall for him. And nobody would know. We can still give some to the poor and look good. but But he was in it for himself. Um, so he said that very next verse, verse 14, then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. That's what the life of the Messiah was worth to them, although they didn't know he was the Messiah. Verse 16, so from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. You know, some people say that, G, that Judas uh, had to do it. This was four days. Jesus knew this. No, it said he betrayed him. Betray is betray. You do something you're not supposed to do. Then, so it, it's time for Passover. And, and go down to verse 20. And uh, when evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. And now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, he knew who it was going to be. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, it says, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is, is it I? Verse 23, he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not even been born. Hmm. Verse 25, Then Judas, Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, You said it. it was, he, he knew it was him. And in the other Gospels, you can see where, where he told J- Judas, what you have to do, do quickly. And he went. The other disciples were clueless as to what was happening. They assumed Judas, since he had the money, was going out to buy something for Passover or 
or do something for the poor. They just, they were just uh, trusting. And so, uh, he, he left and, uh, set things up for the, uh, betrayal of Jesus. Then, uh, we're in Matthew 26. Let's go down to verse 31. And Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Verse 32 says, but after I have been raised, he knew he was coming back. After I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Not me, not Peter. No way. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, verse 35, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. So we we know what happened after that, that, that he did everything Jesus said was accurate. Peter did deny him three times. And, and went through the phony trial and, and the scourging. And uh, if you've ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, uh, the Mel Gibson movie, uh, that's probably the most accurate portrayal of, of what Jesus went through. Uh, it's hard to watch. I, I really have a hard time watching that. But uh, it, it was awful. The, 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 Rome, the, the Jewish law was that you could beat somebody... Forty lashes minus one. But the Jews didn't beat him. The Romans did. The Romans had no such rule. And a lot of times people died just from the whipping, from the beating that, that uh, they gave him. So it was, it was a horrible thing. And then the crucifixion. Um, and, and there's, there's so much more surrounding this. But we need to know what the, the whole point of at, after tonight is that the real reason for the crucifixion of Jesus was love. His love for you and for me and God's love for us. The Bible says, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would have would not perish but have everlasting life. Um. He loved you and I so much that he paid the price that we don't have to pay if we invite him to be Lord and Savior of our life. Jesus' death on the cross, it it opened a way, provided a way for us to receive forgiveness of sins and be restored to full relationship with Father God. In uh, in 1 Corinthians 15.22, the Apostle Paul wrote, for as in Adam all die, or because of Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And then Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53, and we read part of that earlier earlier today. Uh, verse 5 in Isaiah 53, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We are healed. 
and and it just jumped out to me when it says the chastisement of our peace, chastisement of our peace. I get excited and I start talking too fast, so I'll try and slow down a little. The peace, the 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 word in Hebrew is shalom, and and that word carries a much more meaning than just what we think of peace. It's nothing missing, nothing broken. The peace that comes from being made whole. That's the peace that Jesus offers us. Uh, If you ever wonder if God loves you, just look at the cross. Just look at what happened on the cross. How, How could such a horrible thing be a sign of God's love for us? Look at what Paul wrote to the Romans, to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 5, starting with verse 6, he said, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. That would be me. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love, his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. And then Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus did not look at that cross and think, oh goody, This is going to be so much fun. No, he's looking beyond the cross. He's he's seeing beyond what he can see with his natural eyes. And the joy that was set before him is you and I and, and those who are still to come into the kingdom. They need to accept him. They need to believe in him. But he did it for joy, knowing what this was going to do for mankind if they would receive him. But, uh, It, the forgiveness is a free gift to everybody who re, who believe in Him, accept Him, and the good news is that the crucifixion demonstrates God's love for for all of us in general, and His love for you in particular. Through the crucifixion, God provides a path for forgiveness from sin, for freedom from death, and as we read before even for the healing of our bodies. But how do we get that gift? How do we take hold of it? And, and I know I'm, I'm, in a sense, preaching to the choir here, but maybe you get a chance to speak to someone who needs to hear this. Take them to Romans chapter 10. And, and I'm, I like to start in verse 8. Romans 10 verse 8 says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, For there is no distinction between the Greek, the Jew and the Greek, 
For the Lord is Lord over over all, is rich to all who call upon him. This is, we work a lot with Romans in Hungary and Romania, and, and this is so powerful to know that they've been pushed away from humanity their whole life, to know that Jesus died for them. And just because they're Roma, just because they're Hungarian, just because they're uh, whatever you might think you are just, you're, you are accepted in Jesus. And verse 13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul wants us to understand that in Jesus, anyone can be saved. Salvation was not just for the Jews. That may be what they thought at first, but God opened it up to all of us. God welcomes Gentiles in, into the, the fold of Christianity. The only thing that's required is to believe and confess that Jesus is Lord. In his crucifixion, Jesus made it possible to stand before God and, and nothing is held against us. Nothing. We are, we are clean. We are standing there in, in the same righteousness as Jesus. We have been made the righteousness of God. Through Christ Jesus, we're clothed in his righteousness. And, and we also no longer have to fear death. Because through the crucifixion, Jesus conquered death and did it one time for all of us. Amen. Father, we just thank you for this time together to learn of you and, uh, and the, some of the things that were happening through the, through Jesus, to Jesus through this, what, what we call Holy Week, Easter Week. Father, thank you to be, help us to be mindful of that. Lord, thank you that we are your sheep. We hear your voice and the voice of another we will not follow. We thank you, Father, for helping us to be so mindful of this and, and be reverent and respectful of it, Lord. And we thank you, Father, for the awesome gift that you've provided for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.